In the gospel we just heard, it is a, a parable given to the chief priests and the Pharisees, the leaders who were the ones who are to be the first invited uh, to the banquet, and they are the ones who are too busy and essentially mock, mock the father, uh, kill the prophets, uh, and, and have no use for the son as he comes. And so the Lord is, is telling them in no uncertain terms that, that they will be replaced, that they were not found worthy uh, because they have, have not responded to the invitation of the Lord God uh, to enter into the marriage feast that is heavenly joy. They've hardened their hearts toward it. But in their place will come a great crowd of people, all the people on the roadside that they can find, anyone and everyone, all are welcome, come to the feast. This is the invitation that is given. Indeed, they all come, it says. They, they come and they fill the room. And the king, as he goes in, he finds one man who does not have on the wedding garment. And when questioned about it, the man is reduced to silence. There's nothing he can say. There is no defense on his part. And his hands and feet are bound, cast out into the darkness, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. This is encouragement to us that Mother Church gives to us today to be able to be not the one cast out for lack of a wedding garment, but instead to have a garment upon ourselves, the garment that is Christ Jesus. It is this new man that we are told to put on by St. Paul today, to be able to put on the new man, to put on Christ. This is symbolic, of course, in our baptismal rites, where the, the child, after having been baptized, is then given a white garment. Uh, very often the, the child is already in a white garment, but it's a symbolic reality that they're being clothed in Christ, clothed with his virtues, clothed with his goodness and his holiness of life. We're putting these things on, and they, from the outside, are to, to continue to, to transform our hearts, this acting and living more and more like the person of Christ. St. Paul further encourages us, not simply uh, as a sort of kind of putting on in some exterior manner, but really the, the putting on is truly an interior work. He encourages us to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. It is for us to be able to allow our mind, our heart, our soul to be shaped and transformed by this reality that we've been clothed in Christ. In the classic manner of what Mother Church always does with us, and all the, the rites of the blessings of, of objects or places or persons, but again, particularly in the baptismal ritual, there is a sending away, there is a removing of the old first, a casting off. And then, when the place is clean, then the new is put on. We all know this, and we presumably do this with some regularity. If you're out working in the yard, you don't go in and then put your new clothes on after you've been all sweaty and dirty. You take your old stuff off, you shower, and then you are prepared to be able to put on something new and to, for it to, to make sense in the same manner. And this is what St. Paul is inviting us, to cast off vice, wickedness, and sin, to put it all aside. And then, having been washed in the baptismal holy water and going frequently to the sacrament of confession and doing those things that, that free us from sin in this earthly life, to continue to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves in his virtue, in his goodness, and in, in his holiness of life. But how do we do these things? How is it that we allow our minds to be renewed? How is it that we put on Christ in coming to understand the things of God? How do we get dressed in the spiritual sense? 
We are blessed as Catholics in the world today. We're at a time where there is an immense availability of Catholic information out there. The reality is that anything that we desire can be found in so many ways, accepting the mysteries of God, which we just have to plumb within the quiet of our hearts. But the source of uh, the, the immense richness of availability of, of videos, of books, of talks, of conferences, of all sorts of things is of an immense treasure and value to us. And it's these things that we're offered to be able to, to shape our minds and our hearts, to enliven our soul. But as we reflect upon all these things and the gift of what has been given to us and the great heritage of our church in the past as well as in the present, it is for us also to heed and to, to hear the words of St. Paul as he continues writing to the Ephesians. He encourages them to be renewed in spirit of their mind, to put on the new man. But then he also continues, and he's saying, set aside the old things, but do not give place to the devil. Do not give place to the devil. This is an important piece. Because we know always that whenever we are seeking after our Lord, when we are seeking after grace, when the, the, the grace of God is, is to be increasing within us, there is one thing, there is one creature that is particularly opposed to this, and is the evil one. The evil one wants at any cost to separate us from Christ, to separate us from his grace, to pull us away from the Lord and from the body of Christ, the church. The evil one will do whatever he can. And the evil one continues even to work within the church. Again, the parable our Lord says is there the good and the bad both come into the, into the, to the wedding feast. They both come into the hall. And it's to recognize that within the church, there are those who will lead us to Christ, and there are also those who will lead us away. But it's not so, it's not so um, overt, usually. The devil doesn't like to be seen. He likes to be um, not seen. The greatest thing that the devil loves is to be forgotten about, to think that he's not even there, that it's just kind of a thought of our mind. The devil works subtly. And the reality is the devil, he takes that which is good and he twists it to his own will. He twists it so that beginning on a good path, it seems for us, that we will then be pulled away, separated. This is every heresy in the history of the church. It begins by taking the truth of the faith, but then it's taking it too far. It does something with it that it is not intended to be. And it becomes something that pulls us away from Christ, away from the truth, away from his church. And there's a great caution today, especially in these things as well. The evil one, he doesn't move quickly often in this as well. He is gradual, slow, and so, slow but intent on bringing us away from our Lord, even as we might think we draw close. I was reflecting, the, especially the last couple of weeks, it was a uh, I've been doing some online, online studies, and one of, the courses, one of the courses was speaking about the reality of, of Christian versus non-Christian prayer, right? So some of the New Age, the New Age things out there, how do you, how do you tell what's, you know, what's, what's meditation in a good sense and what's meditation in a, a useless sense, a really demonic sense? And one of the points was, there was, you know, was kind of raising some of the questions. And in this, in this group, another priest um, kind of raised the point. He said, what about, and named a particular Catholic author, 
a rather well-known author, author of, of the 20th century. And he said, because, because some of his works seem really, really good, but then some of his works seem to have totally missed the mark and kind of gone off the, off the rails. Should we read just part of it? Or just like, is there, a, is there a cutoff point where you need to read this, this, and this, but not the ones after this? What should we do? And the person giving the conference simply said, don't read any of it. He said, why drink from a well that's going to lead you to wickedness? Why drink from something that that person brought themselves and fought themselves away from the church? Why follow the path? He said, essentially, why drink from a well that might be mostly good, but then at some point turns kind of rotten? Why? Why take the risk with your soul? And this is a great challenge to us, especially in our day, because there are many who are good in the church and will lead us to holiness. But again, there are those who little by little would separate us from Christ. They won't claim to be such. They will claim to continue in the path of truth. They would claim to be in rightness and holiness. And yet, very easily, will pull us away from Him, subtly, but intensely. St. Paul encourages us to work for the good. If in the past we have been attent about things, uh, about stealing things, he says, then put your hands to labor for the good. And I would suggest that in the same sense that as we're pursuing the things of God, the things of our faith, as we learn about the gift of the faith that we have received, it is to seek that which is good, to seek that which is holy. There is much in the world that is not of a positive thing, not of an encouraging thing. This week, I've seen a number of things. Uh, it's the, the 60th anniversary of the Second Vatican Council, right? And so a number of articles and commentaries and things, and there is much that has been and much that can be and much that will be said about the Second Vatican Council. But in many places, there is much vile. There is darkness. There is anger. There is hatred. There is division. There are lies, outright lies, when it comes down to it. And all of these things, seeking to lead us to good, will inevitably lead us away from the Lord. They will lead us away from His church. Again, the devil doesn't just bring us right off the bat, but would seek to convince us little by little, encourage us little by little, encourage us to question, to challenge, to rebuke, to oppose, little by little, until we find ourselves rather far from our Lord and His church. And so, a few practical encouragements. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Read the saints. If a book begins with ST period as the author, buy it and read it. They are tried and true. They've been tested. We know that they will lead us to holiness because they themselves have been led to holiness. We can trust them as absolutely verifiable gifts to us. Read the saints. Allow their holiness of life to sink deeply within you. That's one of the greatest and and most convicting things. To read the lives of the saints is they, they show forth the holiness of God. They show forth the goodness of God. They need not worry about the, the negative and the polemics of things because they see His goodness. And honey is better than vinegar when trying to attract the flies. 
The simple fact of things is just the goodness that Christ that we ought to pursue and seek. And it's found in the saints. In addition to the saints, uh, kind of a larger category that, that includes many of the saints but may not, but is simply to read the fathers of the church. To read the early church fathers is an immense store of spiritual wisdom and wealth. There are riches that have not been plumbed yet that still await us to, to be nourished by them in the fathers of the church. There is much richness there, and they are readily available, many of them absolutely for free on the internet because they're so old there's no such thing as copyright in the fourth century. It's all there, free for the taking on the internet. I would encourage you also to read the spiritual classics. Indeed, it's a temptation for us to get caught up in the liturgical wars of the world today, to get caught up in the, the theological things about what about ecumenism and what about this and what about that. But the simple fact is, while we can certainly have these discussions, they're good, necessarily, and holy things for us to discuss, the reality is the more important piece is the state of our own soul. Because if we know all things about the liturgy, if we know all things about the Second Vatican Council, if we can quote Gaudium et Spes and Sacrosanctum Concilium till we're blue in the face, but our soul is filled with wickedness, we have no hope. We are lost. It is for us to look primarily to our souls, not simply to our minds, to allow our souls to be shaped by Christ as we put them on. Although, I say this, put a little asterisk next to it. Read things that are written prior to the Second Vatican Council. I don't say this as an opposition to the Second Vatican Council. There are many good things. There are many wonderful works that have been written since then. Many of them have been immense nourishment to my own soul, to my own spiritual life. But the simple fact is that there are also so many ways in which polemics come into the church today. People opposed to this, opposed to that. So to read even some of the classics before the war is even started is a place where we can find rest, we can find peace, and again, to focus upon the goodness of what we celebrate in the traditional liturgy and the traditional life of the church, to see its goodness and not always to focus upon that which is wicked or negative. A few other things. Again, YouTube is a wonderful gift. YouTube is part of how I learned how to celebrate the Latin Mass, believe it or not. <laughs> We didn't have a class on celebrating the Mass. I learned by watching videos and reading books. YouTube was a blessing to me to be able to see some of these things and how priests did baptisms in the traditional form, confirmations in the traditional form, how some of these things took place. But YouTube was also a wonderful place for the devil to walk around without any restraint whatsoever. Because anybody that has the ability to put a video online can sound like they are the king of the world. And if you have great video, <laughs> video graphics, and you have a great speaking voice, you can be rather convincing and instructive. Be careful what you watch on the internet, as well as what you read on the internet. Again, better to rely upon the classics and the saints and the fathers. There are many sedevacantists on the internet who seem to make good arguments. They are all false when it comes down to it. If anyone, as you are listening to a, a, a podcast or listening to some video or these kind of things, begin to question the validity of the Novus Ordo, kindly hit the stop button and hit the X, because it is not good for your soul. It's a simple fact of things. We can be attracted to the Latin Mass, absolutely. 
It is beautiful. I myself would love to celebrate it always, everywhere, and exclusively. But it's not to say that the other is not valid. Certainly it is. Even, even uh, Archbishop Lefebvre said the same. He said that it is a valid Mass. He'd prefer not to celebrate it, but it is valid liturgy. For one to be presuming that the Novus Ordo is not valid, already one is far off the mark. To say that the Church has not the authority to do such things is foolishness. The Church is the one given the instruction in the first place. And so as to be able to, to make sure that if one begins to tend in that direction, kindly walk away. The temptation also is to seek refuge in the SSPX and other communities similar to them. At the risk of upsetting some of our SSPX members uh, who, who go there from time to time, I would encourage you not to. Because the reality is that there are still issues at present there. I know there are many in the society that, that say that all is well and everything is the same, and they honor the Holy Father, and they are indeed Catholic. And they are Catholic with an asterisk next to it. They are not in full communion with the Church. If you look at the diocesan directory of the Diocese of Baton Rouge, we have all the priests who, are diocese, who, who live and minister in the diocese, all those who have, of religious communities, all those of, of like Father, Father Harb, a Maronite Catholic priest. They're all in the, in the directory with their information, their contact information, and where the church they serve is, how to get in touch with them. There's one community that celebrates a traditional mass that is not in our directory, which means they are not connected to our local church. This is a problem. The Mass is valid, yes. The sacraments are valid, yes. They fulfill the Sunday obligation, yes. But they are separated from the shepherd. And if we are separated from the shepherd, we are in dangerous place because then we simply rely upon our own strength as the sheep. This is dangerous, and this is not how Christ has set up his church. If there are concerns there, feel free to come talk to me to come yell at me, come express whatever concerns about you would like. I'm happy to discuss anything and everything. But the reality is very simple. Stay close to Christ. Stay close to the church. There are trials that we have to face. There are persecutions that we have to face. And it may get worse. There may be even greater things that will come to us. And if it happens, God be praised and he'll give us the grace to deal with it when it comes. But it's for us to remain close to him here and now. Because if we don't remain close to him, if we allow ourselves to stray, even little by little, how easily the evil one will pick us off in the end. He will pull us away. We may think we are close to Christ, but by virtue of being far from his church, we are lost. This is what our Lord encourages in us today. And this is what I, as your pastor, or, or at least a priest preaching to you today, would encourage you as well. Read the saints. Read the fathers. Care for your soul. Stay close to Christ. Stay close to his church. And rejoice as the Lord continues the work of salvation of your soul. Looking forward to the day where we enter together into that great marriage feast not to be cast out into the, world, into the wailing and darkness because of, of, of our, our lack of being clothed, but being clothed fully in Christ and his virtues, his holiness, and his glory. We'll be able to celebrate with him for all eternity.